Yeah, so uh, my name is Jack, and welcome to the uh, first episode of Wheeling in the Years. Uh, if you're listening to this, it means either this podcast cut off, which I'm going to recommend that you do not listen to this episode and wait until we get our uh, shit and groove, or you're literally uh, my mom. So, hi, mom. Thank you for <laughs> thank you for listening. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess the goal here is just to kind of, like, give myself a reason to kind of get as deep into music as I used to. And I don't know, just listen to music for one month, from one year for an entire month. And uh, I got my, I roped, my, I reeled, if you will, my friend Sam into this year. <laughs> Say hi, Sam. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm co-hosting. I'll be co-pilot in this musical adventure into a year and a past decade. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, me and Sam would always just uh, shoot the shit and argue about this dumb bullshit anyways. So... I know, yeah, realistically, this could have just been a natural conversation anyway. We've just taken it and extracted it and turned it into a giant project. <laughs> so. Yeah, quarantine, we're bored. So we're <laughs> decided to literally throw a message in the bottle into a sea made of messages at the bottle on the internet. So no, who the fuck knows? At the very least, I'll have fun. So. And this will be, I believe, our random numbers generator. Yep. It's going to select a year from a range of years that we picked out. And that range is going to be 1964 to 2004, I believe, right? Yes, that is correct. So we got a 40-year range in honor of the top 40, uh, the uh, main chart for pop music. And uh, on one bookend, generally, we have the British Invasion, which sort of started uh, the modern pop and rock movement. Yeah, and, and like, and in tandem to this, this is when Motown, which had been going on for a few years before this, really started to, I think, kind of get a little more musically interesting, kind of lean into what it became instead of just being another like hits factory. And I guess for 2004, that would be, well, for us, like early in high school. Yeah, so. the first time that I kind of was like listening to stuff, like I have very clear memories of discovering Evil by Interpol. And just like jamming out into it night and day. And like, I don't know, 2004 is kind of like a cutoff when I was experiencing this firsthand instead of going back, you know? Yeah, it's sort of like uh, like a gel point where our musical identities were forming. Like we were really getting into what we were into and would sort of shape our future taste in music for years to come. So it's a good, it's a solid 40 year range. We got good bookend years. I think everything after 04, we were avidly consuming the music as it was coming out at the time. So I think anything within that range would allow a good opportunity to explore uh, stuff that we haven't heard before, really kind of delve into the year and everything that came out during that period. Yeah, so uh, let's get to it. Uh, Without further ado, what, what year are we getting? I'm excited, I'm a bit nervous. 1976. 1976 all right well we're right in the middle of the 70s yeah probably pretty sim close to the middle of our this entire project too it's a nice little there's stuff that's happened but stuff to come you know yeah man so i know uh we briefly talked about how all right we'd uh we do this live we'd, we'd see what year popped out and then we just start doing our hot takes 
Um, so what do we know? What do we think about 76? Well, I'm thinking the tail end of one artist's great period and the beginning of another, uh, two mile time favorites, Stevie Wonder and Bruce Springsteen, two just like, you know, no doubter all timers. I think this is in between Bruce albums, but this is the year of songs in the key of life. Oh, great album. Yeah. yeah, for Bruce, he would have been on the Born to Run tour during then. Born to Run came out in 75. So maybe we can listen to the uh, Springsteen in uh, Passaic. That was 76, right? I think that was 78. Oh, well, oops. But, you know, general range of time. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to start playing Sir Duke because fuck it. Yeah. That, that's what get I Steve, hear. Get, get Stevie going. Yeah. What I love about this song is this song is literally only about how good this song is. I know it's about Duke Ellington, da da da, but it's like, you know, the horns are supposed to be this tribute, but literally it's like you can feel it all over. You're feeling the song all over as it says that, you know, it's just like a song about how good songs like this are. Yeah, so I mean, and what's crazy too is that this is like one of many songs on this album that just completely go just as hard as anything can ever go, you know? Yeah, it's really just like the lush production and arrangement on this. Like, everything the horns are doing, but it doesn't sound busy. They're all working cohesively to create this kind of like wall of brass. And it just like, you know, pervades through the whole song. It, like, it really keeps the whole energy so high. Yeah, wall of brass is a really good term because it is like that. It just feels like this onslaught of sound, but it doesn't feel it feels like super organic at the same time you know yeah but even just like this is one that you know coming back to this album for the first time like every single song is a sample that basically just like became a uh, big other time like pastimes paradise is probably like the most obvious one where it's literally yeah. the, the the coolio song only better honestly but like yeah <laughs> that would later go on to be gangsta paradise and yep. then uh my favorite spin, Amish Paradise by Will Weird Al Yankovic. Will Al Yankovic, that's... Weird Al. <laughs> yeah. And then I Wish, I feel like I Wish was a, uh, has like a Will Smith song, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, first of all, look at uh, the bass lines, they're so good. Oh. And it's like a little keyboard bass line too, just fucking amazing. Uh, Wild Wild West, just blanking on it. Yes, yes, that's right. And and like when you listen to a song like that, you're like, oh man, this catchy chorus is like the only good part. It's not even his part. Just like yeah. fucking Stevie Wonder sample, you know? Like obviously sampling, you can do stuff with it. You can make something out of nothing and build these different pieces together. But there is a lazy way. It's just like, yeah, we're going to pay for something so good to have ourselves a hit, you know? Yeah. Like that song basically succeeded because of all Stevie's work. Like. The, all the hooks in that song were Stevie. I mean, you know, Will's rap is fun and it was tied into the soundtrack in that movie, but, but musically that song succeeds due to Stevie. It's all the sample. 100%. And then it's like, and what's crazy too is I don't know if there's ever been a double album that is this consistent. Like, you know, like a lot of the all-time great doubles are just all over the place, and that's kind of their appeal. You know, it's like this artist's chance to just do everything against. Well, I know Stevie does this too, but like, you know, it's not like the White Album where there's like noise 
soundscapes and yeah. When you think of the double album, it's like what the the legacy of what the Beatles set as a precedent, where it's like this is our just big pastiche album. We're gonna try a lot of different genres. We're gonna go, you know, we're gonna have some heavy rockers. We're gonna have some like low key acoustic. We're just gonna throw everything at the wall, and uh, I think. Due to that, sometimes a lot of double albums end up kind of just meandering and directionless, and they don't yeah. make for a good altogether through listening experience. I mean, the White Album is one of my favorite albums of all time, but it's the Beatles. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, other uh, double albums, when I listen to them, I find myself just wishing they had been cut down to uh, a single album, even a long single album or just b-sides just for a better flow but yeah i, th- I think nine times out of ten that's right they, they would just be better as b-sides like this is your statement and the real fans will find the shit like you know if i like the album enough i'll you know go and find that stuff but what's amazing about this album is it doesn't it feels like it has to be a double album and they're all just melodies and songs and arrangements it's not like it's like this big thematic thing it's just just you know it's just sinking the jumper time after time after time you're just like shit yeah like stevie's run in the 70s holy shit oh yeah no Uh, one of the greatest ever from like music from my mind through this album just like every single album is fire are you fan a talking book talking book is so good i have that on vinyl intervision like so the whole thing i'm yeah, this is going to be one of the ones that, uh, you know, every year we're just going to be like, hey guys, have you heard about the Stevie Wonder character? Well, so speaking of the Beatles, as I was telling you through this summer, I was back on a big, big Beatles kick, as I am generally want to do every couple years. And so I am curious what the former members of the Beatles are up to in 76. Yeah, that's kind of going to be fun about this too, like, like... Like seeing someone like past their prime, listening to it and being like, "Why doesn't this go as hard as what they did before?" and, and kind of really just like looking at that, you know? Well, I think Beatles-wise, Paul McCartney had formed Wings and was in right now. The the Wings. I'm looking it up. The the Wings Over America tour was in 1976. I prefer uh, Wings Over famous... uh, Wings Over but... Yeah. <laughs> wings Over America, the best Wings place. In America. Paul McCartney is anti-climate change. He's uh, promoting flying, so we're gonna cancel. <laughs> but uh, I know the Wings Wings Over America live album had a few standouts, like that live version of Maybe I'm Amazed. So yeah, good. the one that, that that yeah, you hear that all over. I like. I prefer the. I think I like that live version of Maybe I'm Amazed better than the uh, studio version on McCartney One. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those like iconic ones too. Uh, speaking of iconic live albums, this is apparently the year Frampton comes alive. Oh man! So this is just like oh. 70s big arena AM. Just you know, I like this version better because I just feel like Paul's voice is like incredible in this live version. Just the 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 way he pushes up those high notes. He has just like perfect control. He's got the rawness, the hoarseness. Uh, you know, the, the raspiness, you know, like, I, I love that quality in his voice there. Yeah, that's what Paul, everyone, you know, talks about, like, the, this, like, the great uh, songs, and obviously he is. 
But I love when he has that moment where it's just like, no, fuck you guys. I can have the first voice. I can have the loud guitar. Like, he didn't pull it off that often, but he, like, tries to bring it. And it's kind of cute in a weird way, you know, because it's, like, not what he does, but he pulls it off just from gumption. Yeah, Paul's a, Paul's a great singer. I, I love his voice. And the thing with him, too, is he can have different qualities to his voice when he wants to. Like, like the kind of McCartney singing, you get Helter Skelter or like Oh Darling with the Beatles is what you hear here and Maybe I'm Amazed, that kind of high, strong, uh, raspy voice. Uh, but you'll have him having kind of a, a smoother, more, uh, you know, a, with a bit more lilt to it, a, a more sensitive voice that he'll use in some in, uh, slower, more down-tempo songs like Here, There, and Everywhere. Yeah, 100%. And then you'll have his kind of like you know, putting on different kind of show voices, like his Lady Madonna voice, or things that, or his Rocky Raccoon voice, you know, where you're like, who's singing this song? Is that Paul? Like, where you, you don't quite recognize him at first. Yeah, because there's such, like, a showman quality about him, too. And this is, like, when the songs obviously aren't as good, but, like, maybe it's just, like, peak showman Paul, where he, like, knows what he is, and he's, like, corny, but not winking enough or you just like i don't know it, it's just like a vibe that so few people have been able to pull off and this is completely in addition to you know obviously you know one of the five greatest songwriters in rock history you know yeah this version is just incredible that solo so good he plays it twice well the uh his guitar player plays it twice he's on the keyboard uh this version oh man this is like i'm looking at this this is the ultimate classic rock here just like Things that are out. Uh, Desire by Bob Dylan. Station to Station by David Bowie. Hotel California by The Eagles. Jailbreak by Thin Lizzy. Uh, yep, we're right in the middle of it. We're right in the middle of it. 21 Fold like, by Rush. Genesis. Trick the tail. I'll be fine. This is like the year that uh, <laughs> WCLX, the radio station, just plays all of. This is great. Honestly, looking at these albums, I think this is peak, like, radio classic rock. Like, you know, because by the time you get to, like, the 70s and 80s, it gets a little worse, and then punk is where the real energy is, you know? Um, yeah, this is, the, this is, like, the big album-oriented rock here. Yeah. So speaking of I'm going to play, uh, I think, maybe the most fitting song right now for us and to start this off on the right note. Oh, yeah. Uh, I love this album. I love this whole album. I know, I know, like, The Boys Are Back in Town is the one that's always played on the radio. But, uh, it's got my favorite Dead Lizzy song, Cowboy, Cowboy Song. song. Yeah. yeah. Just who got today. Only The Boys can never be back in town and out because of COVID. So, there will be no more yeah. boys ever going back to town. We've lost it. Everything's getting shittier. So. Boys are staying out of town. <laughs> yeah, the boys They're are quarantining out of, out of town. Boys are quarantined out of town. Yeah. Living downtown. Yeah. The bros are back in town. Bros are back. I love this too, too, just because it's. This is what music's powerful at. Like, you know, like, the medium is the message. And in other words, like, you know, if you're trying to convey an emotion or a complex idea like a movie or you know a, a poem or there's like all these other ways to do it but just 
you're never gonna get the energy of like this like uh, little solo right here, you know? Like you'll never, not only the lyrics and like the message about the boys being back in town, but the song just conveys that too, you know? Just the guitar, I don't know, you know? Yeah, then Lizzie had the, the twin dueling guitars for leads and that gives a very kind of richness to the sound of the solos because you know they're they're playing in harmony with each other for a lot of the leads i know you i know? love the it's harmony not, solos like it's not so much dueling solos it's, it's just playing in tandem with each other which is cool so no, there's two lead guitarists they'll play back and forth against each other but they're playing lead lines you know kind of uh harmonizing with each other and it sounds so good oh no 100 percent. like obviously and Oof. And usually it just sounds like, you know, kind of corny, like some Dragon Force shit. But here, it's just like, you get the feeling they got cigarettes in their mouth, and they're, they are the boys who are back in town, you know? Like, if every boy is back in town, everyone needs to have their own guitar line, part of the whole, you know? Yeah. This is a song that I just love and I've loved forever, but it's one of those ones that, like, I think the general public can kind of get sick of, because it's always on, like, every classic rock radio station. It's just been, like oversaturated for like decades and that's simply that's purely because it's such a good song you know like um it's so good that like classic rock stations will always turn to it as a go-to and as a result people have a bit of boys are back in town fatigue but if they um, have that you can just go right to cowboy song yeah oh yeah I love Cowboy Song. This is one of those ones, too, that when it hits, like, it just doesn't feel right unless you got, like, a just overflowing beer in your hand, getting a little sticky, raising up, you know? Yeah. You know, this one reminds me of, it reminds me of uh, when you're driving to Vegas from L.A. through the desert, just blasting this. This is a good driving. This might be the best driving to Vegas song. Just, it's big, it's open, but you've got this excitement to you. You know, like, it's a very particular vibe where you need these, like, wide-open, just huge-sounding songs that have this, like, forward excitement, anticipation to them, you know? Yeah. And it's these like, are a bunch of Irish guys singing something that's so Americana, which is funny, because, like, later on, like, ten years later, so you get U2. Yeah, U2 is the same thing. Another group of Irish guys singing, like, a really great Americana album. <laughs> Well, the best Americana album is, is probably Exile. You know, some, there's something yeah. to be said about the, you know, the, the, the zealousness of a convert, you know? Like, they're the person who uh -huh. has to come into this and chose it. So they're just really trying to dive into what makes it it, you know? Mm -hmm. Man, like, you, we were talking about the solos of Boys are back in town. The, oh, this the one. solos and Cowboys song. Holy shit. Like, uh, at the very, uh... The very end solo, that that guitar tone, <laughs> it just kills me. I love it. I know. I also love too, like when they're just doing that octave thing, you know, like, oh, it just, it just feels so perfect. Mm -hmm. All the southern girls, they seem the same. Just so fucking, just innocent people causing mayhem at 23. You know? Isn't that what we all want to be? Yep. That's how we were. <laughs> yeah, fucking... Ugh. 
just I love the way the guitar is kind of meandering and it just has this like point suddenly in the chorus as it like hits and makes it bigger, you know? Yeah. I just that's like the you know we talk about like music sound sick memories all the time. Like this solo, like this first solo right here, I just immediately take it back to like just flying across the desert, like after leaving like Barstow, like on the way to Vegas. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were a little past Barstow when the Thin Lizzy hit. But then, when the Thin Lizzy began to take hold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we gotta just listen to like the whole song. <laughs> Yeah, we, like, I can't turn this off. That's how you know the song's good, when you're just like, yeah. even though I was having a hard time turning it off uh, as by Stevie, but, uh. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, like, uh, our, uh, our handful, our very small handful of, of first round listeners, they'd be like, yeah, like, uh, do your homework, you can pick up and listen to these songs, but uh, we're gonna play this full one for you, this one's good. <laughs> yeah. This one's real good. And I'll turn around. Have you heard that the the live version from Live and Dangerous? I have not. Talk about that for one second. Yeah. Well, that's the one. Live album came out in '78, uh, but it goes from cowboy song into a seamless transition of the boys are back in town. <laughs> it's because uh, they're uh, both in the same key and were played in the same key for that album. So. I know. Hit when the song ends and it goes right into Boys Are Back in Town. Ugh. And Prison. I it inspired me to have to do okay, Hell yeah. Would you just crack open? Uh Takate. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Um, I'm doing this thing actually where every time I go to the store I get like a six pack and I'm getting one of something different. So the goal at the end is, you know, everyone's just like a shitty lager, like a Tecate or a Bud Light or whatever. Oh. This and, is the soul I'm talking about. I know. Like, literally as soon as it hits, you're just like, fuck. But uh, I'm going to get each one, I'm going to pour them into, like, solo cups, and I'm going to see, just do a blind taste test of every just, like, shit lager. And this is the song that's going to be playing as I do it. So. I like it. I love it. Oh, that, that tone is just so crunchy. I love it. I know. It's like, I'm trying to think of other adjectives to describe the guitar tone. It's like, it's, it's buzzy, it's nasally, it's crunchy, but it's like yeah, it's raw. It's nasally, but like, it's, you're right. It, it, it's not like the, the perfect tone if I were to pick him out of a line, but it, at the same point, it's like the only tone that would work for a song like this, you know? Yeah. So beer-wise for me, I'm drinking a uh, more local beer. I got uh, a wheelhouse, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and uh, it's called Age of Aquarius. It's a fruited goza. Oh, damn. I saw it and I was like, Age of Aquarius, wouldn't it be funny if we got 1969 and I just got the Age of Aquarius beer? Nope, but, <laughs> but instead we're just going full AOR like you said. Yeah. All right, what's next? Oh. oh, yeah. So for our movie night uh, a few weeks ago, we watched A Knight's Tale, and Golden Years is featured in the dance scene, and it's such a good scene. The music sings with it so well. God. Mid-2000s were such an... That was like mid-2000s, I movie, right? Early 2000s. Early 2000s, yeah. Just, just the dance sequence to David Bowie. Just 
such an innocent sequence kind of... in a, a movie that takes place in the Middle Ages with medieval characters, and then uh, the Bowie just kicks in. It's just like it's anachronistic, and it just works like so well. <laughs> It's funny, Golden Years was actually one of the uh, potential names of this podcast I was thinking about, but that makes it sound a little oldies, you know? But Yeah. Like, Golden Years in the Bowie context, it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, cool Bowie swinging Golden Years. But, like, you know, if you just talk about it in a vacuum, you're just like, oh, you know, Golden Oldies. Yeah. Even though these aren't Golden Oldies at this point, like, shit, man. Like, some of this stuff was so long ago. Yeah, if you think about, like, how like in the 90s when it was like oldies 103.3 like that music was like 30 years old 25 years old and now that music from like 25 years ago is 1995 yeah <laughs> 1990 so it's like old and oldies like as far as that stuff away is as far as like say it ain't so from us Ooh, yeah but man this is kind of like a weird in-between album for bowie because like um he's like right in between like two periods is this like the main thin white duke album i think it's like i believe this is thin white duke period yeah Yeah. so this is his la years living in la doing nothing but uh eating nothing but uh milk and bell peppers and mountains of cocaine fucking the life man but like i don't know if if you're gonna have like the, the the cash and just be stupid crazy rich Instead of just like, I don't know, getting ripped for TikToks, it's like, just do all the cocaine you can until you literally are just like a crazy person, you know? Yeah, I remember reading a story thing, like he was just like holed up in his like, like home there in LA because he was afraid of witches. Yeah, he was afraid witches were gonna steal his scene. That's right. Like witches and the occultist Aleister Crowley. <laughs> I mean, I, to be fair though, if I was a witch, I would want to steal David Bowie's semen. Like, I think that's pretty. Yeah, it makes sense. And I'm sure it made sense to him too. He's like, well, I'm David yeah. Bowie, of course they're going to want to steal my semen. No, the only flaw in that logic is that witches don't exist in the meat, like, a, in, in the very, uh, you know, official way. I just pissed off a Bushwick audience, so um, really, really just narrowing down the demo right away. But if they do exist, they would want to steal David Bowie's semen, and I think that's a pretty good fact. <laughs> And I remember reading, like, Bowie didn't really remember the recording of this album, which is wild, because it's such a good album. He's like, I know it was recorded in Los Angeles, because they told me it was. <laughs> I love it, too. This is an iconic album. TBC 1-5 is, like, uh... What I really like uh, is a title track. The, uh, Station to Station. Just that, like... Slow build up. This is a long one, so we don't have to listen to the whole thing. But it just is so heavy. It hits so hard. I know. It, it's like right after he's like already done the Young Americans funk stuff, so he still kind of has like the the thing of that he's trying to blend in here. But you can really see how after this he decides to just excise that and just go full like weird Berlin and like it's not a. You can see exactly how low comes after this. You know. Yeah. Like this is like. Amos is a seven. It's very like psychedelic, just that droning, looping, heavy. Yeah, it is very like droning, but like in that very like that showy way he sings over it works so well. It just keeps it down to earth, you know. Even as like the music is just like droning and going all over the place, you know. Mm-hmm. Really, it's a testament to how good Bowie's backing band is. Like 
Oh, I know. And this is after he had dissolved the spiders from Mars. These are just a bunch of studio musicians, I believe. Yeah, I, Bowie's bands, like, people get into different bands from different periods. That's probably something I should, uh, I don't really know who he was playing with right here. Oh, you know what else? Other song is playing with 1976. What? You ready for it? I don't think you're ready for it. Oh, oh of course. My favorites. I, one of my all time faves. This might be the song that makes me think of you the most, honestly. <laughs> yeah, this really just resonates with me. Uh, especially because, like, I don't know, growing up, like, he's talking about the same suburb, basically, where we grew up and just driving on the freeway. Driving on Route 128. Fucking, fucking stupid. Like, literally, we're just like, this is how we consume music anyways. And then this song comes out. And it's about how we're consuming music. It's like people, oh yeah, it's the greatest rock song ever. It's just one of those things where it's like, no, this can't. This is too much. This can't be all coming together like this, you know? Yeah. This is just like pure earnestness and sincerity. He's just happy to be driving his car on the highway, the highway that we know. And it's and I think back to that article that we always like reread, where that British journalist she just came to like Massachusetts to drive Route 128. That's such a good thing. Because yeah. she just loved this song so much and had special meaning to her. I'm like, she came to our like Beltway Road <laughs> in order to to listen. That's so cool. And I think it's every time I think of that article, I think about how cool it is that she wanted to come to our neck of Massachusetts just to drive like Interstate 95. <laughs> I know. Like, especially too, like you said, our Beltway. Like, this is no different than like the DC Beltway, or but at the same point, like the small details make it. It could only be Route 128. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the whole point is that like this mundane place is special to him. But the other point is that it's mundane. Yeah. And the the cool this song is musically so simple. Just two chords, back and forth, two chords. Yep. It's got the back and everything. The, it's not melodically complex. It's just like very sincere lyrics about this, these actions, these, these little vignettes of, of his adventures just driving. And the fact that Roadrunner exists in so many versions. Um, and each version he's on a bit of a, a slightly different journey. My favorite is still uh, Roadrunner Thrice, which just has him driving in winter all over out to Western Mass and back, you know, like, just driving for hours. I know, and, and, and it really just speaks to the improvisational quality of this song, where it's like, like, the, the, the bass is almost a guitar. Like, when you think of an improv music, you think of, you know, what's the, the instrument going to do or whatever. But no, this is just all, like, him just singing lines that come to his head about this scene he wants to create, you know? The, the actual lyrics don't matter as much as like just him conveying and he knows that he has to change it slightly every time to convey in the way he wants to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's just sort of like he has the outline. He has the outline is the journey of Roadrunner. And you know, he'll drive past a stop and shop. He'll like, you know, be on one twenty eight, the Howard Johnson. But then like, you know, it's almost like he sees in his mind the route and he's just conjuring up different images on the spot of different places he could go based on his travels. It's always really cool. Just the fact that it'll just name drop these mass towns, like, you know, oh, Cohasset, you know, the rocks at night. 
just watching the crew, the little red light blinking on the top. This is in uh, Red Runner Thrice. Like, this is the most streamlined, you know, straightforward version, the most popular version. But I, I love all the different spin-off versions that are out there in this. What's crazy about it, too, is you are right saying that it's like, you know, um, when you're talking about, like, there's all these baselines you have to go to, it almost, like, recreates the driving experience. You know where you're going, you know where you're going to end up, and you know some things are going to pass along the way, but you do have the freedom to deviate at any point, even though it, like, kind of doesn't matter if something's in the middle, what lane you take, you can kind of do a little differently every time, depending on how you feel it, but you're just, like, still going in the same direction, and it just kind of... I don't know, even the drums just feels like the, the car moving. It just, it's such a driving alone song. You yeah, know? absolutely agree. Top 10 all time. I could go on and on talking about Roadrunner. <laughs> but I guess we are in love with Massachusetts. That's the thing too. It really is so earnest. It's so earnest that even like a cynic like me can't, you know, it helps him for being lonely late at night. Like, how am I going to shit on that? I think when, when you're sincere, enough to a level and, it, and it's you know truly you know heartfelt then it's just disarming you know you can kind of spot when when lyrics are trying to be sensitive on purpose and it, you could just I don't know Jonathan Richmond's character just shines through you could just tell that he he really be, he means all of it he believes all of it like he's 100% authentic and he's 100% earnest and, and he just kind of captivates you and brings you to his side 100 percent. and you are right like i understand who he is and what, he, what he's trying to do like immediately and i don't know if it's like the tone of his voice obviously the content where he's singing so lot, but it's just the whole thing coming together in such a perfect way that couldn't be recreated that you're just like just this perfect photograph of him at this moment you know <laughs> yeah like and, and just how like just the simplicity of it and it just works like a lot of other songs i like have very lush production a lot going on i just love the simplicity of it like it's like proto-punk it really is proto-punk like 100 like this is one of the songs that uh i actually don't know how much like those arty bands were like influenced by this but i'm sure it's quite a bit like it's not a big line from here to the talking heads you yeah know? like a like the the tree of music goes like Velvet Underground influenced Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers, who influenced a whole range of like punk and new wave artists coming out after. Damn. So this is like really the, the cusp of, you know, this is when these bands, like, this is when this like punk thing was happening, but it wasn't even being recorded yet. And there was like people were starting to realize that something was going on while like these big multi-cocaine-bloated budgets were, like, going on at the same time. It really is, like, the the last year that classic rock in traditional sense was winning, and this song ends up, you know, winning what's next. You know, it's kind of like, this is almost like the beginning of the fade-out, you know? But talking about, like, the classic rock dinosaurs that were, like, leading at this point. Yeah, we got to talk about the Eagles at some point. I know a lot of people these days have like the uh, big Lebowski, the dude uh, uh, opinion of the Eagles. They, I sense like a backlash against them. I mean, like, yeah, fucking hate the Eagles. <laughs> the Eagles uh, get up, get some flack these days for being uncool, and they are like, I guess they're like such a dad band. But I love the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, the, the ultimate damn bad. 
Yeah, this is going to be one of the first things we disagree on. I am part of the backlash. I think the Eagles are overrated. I think it's like Yacht Rock with none of the smoothness that Yacht Rock needs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to like sit here and say this like sucks. You know, clearly it doesn't. But like, I don't know. When I'm talking about like, you know, people from this year that I would be mad if I never heard. You know, I'm, I'm going to think of Thin Lizzy or Stevie Wonder. I'm not going to think of the Eagles, you know? It makes sense. Like, the Eagles were absolutely massive in 76. They released the, that Greatest Hits album, which went on to become one of the best-selling albums of all time. It's like they just, like, put out a few albums, released that Greatest Hits album. Everyone bought the Greatest Hits album, and that was before Greatest Hits albums were, like, a big thing. That, like, kind of just blew up, like, went, like, diamond, you know? Um, and the yeah. Eagles, and then Hotel California was released, and that was just, like, massive worldwide. Like, I could think of, like, you know, being in the Philippines, uh, visiting there, you know, my mom's family, and just, like, walking down the street, and there being karaoke bars, and people singing Hotel California in multiple different bars. Just that appeal of that I song. I love it. Worldwide. I agree. So, two statements. When a song becomes too big, the song is even, like Sir Duke, isn't even about the song. It, it's about itself. In other words, to like, hate this is to hate bonding with strangers in Manila. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, like when music reaches a certain point, it transcends any of the dumb shit that people like us can say. Like, no matter what you think of Hotel California, it's taken on this role that is almost more primal, you know? Yeah. I don't know if it's like the imagery it conjures, like just Hotel California, like the, the idea, the mythical sense of California to people international, you know? And it's also kind of, it, it's a song that's like a horror story too, like a short horror story. And then it, it's like a six and a half minute long song. The end part is all guitar solos. Like on paper, this should work as like a massively popular song. But like, and yet it is. Like this is a song, even though it just tells this, this weird horror story vignette, everybody knows all the lyrics, and it's just like a song like you could put on, and it's just part of the cultural consciousness worldwide, not just in the U.S. And that that's a cool thing, even if you're kind of burnt out and like sick of the song and sick of the, the Eagles and the idea of the Eagles, just like the idea of Hotel California being this just massive juggernaut that keeps chugging along decades later. You know? Oh, no, I 100% agree. Like, this is a song that, you know, on the night out drinking where you make the friend, you guys just, like, do the air guitar for the solo at the end of the song together. You know, it, it, it's like a song that can bridge people together, you know? It's a cultural like, bridge. Like, it's a, it's yeah. a type of thing where, like, I remember, uh, like, traveling in, uh, in Europe. Like being in Spain and people whose first language was Spanish and didn't speak a lot of English, but like just loving Hotel California too. That's like another, like bonding over the singing of this song, even though there's not even like words in common, you know? Oh yeah, no, 100%. Like, and they're singing everything in like the perfect accent, even though they don't speak English, they've listened to enough where they know how to say like hotel correctly, you know? Yeah, and, and what's crazy too about this is like, you are right, the Eagles were huge. Like, you know, we think of like, you know, pop and rock as these two separate different worlds, but that wasn't really the case in 1976. Like the Eagles were like the Ariana Grande of that time period, more or less, you know? Like 
they were the ones filling the stadiums. They were the ones on the radio. They were the ones that everyone just like loved and adored, you know? I mean, they were a super group too in their own right with like all of them being session musicians for. Oh yeah. And then all come, like Glenn Frey, Don Henley, uh, Joe Walsh. Like this solo, like, God, I do love this solo. I agree. It's it's a kind of time that you can never leave, and then just goes into this like two and a half minute long epic solo. Like, yeah, and it's just like man, like this song's played on like pop radio, and it has a two and a half minute long solo at the end. Like, Jesus Christ, I could not imagine anything with less of a chance of happening today. It's more more funny that this is such a big karaoke song worldwide because you just yeah. like sing it, and then you just have to stand there for like two minutes at the very end and just kind of. <laughs> dance around and get the crowd amped up while like the you know the little bitty uh karaoke backtrack is playing the guitar solo like yeah if you think about it from just a pure like it's just a fun karaoke song it always wins it does well but it shouldn't because it just ends with like you not even performing (laughs) for like the whole end part but i know it's the same thing thin lizzy it's that harmony solo where it just all goes together and oh you know yeah, like, they're just doing the arpeggios in tandem together. Like, again, I guess 1976, especially when all these albums were so produced, every album that, except for, like, you know, the Modern Lover stuff, is so produced, and, I don't know, nothing's gonna just blend like that than, like, a harmony solo, you know? We should, let's do, uh, let's do some Frampton Comes Alive. Yeah, we're, like, we're talking, like... We're, this is episode one. We're just talking about like this is the year. We're getting the big stuff out of the way because the the real uh, real fun is gonna be delving into like oh what what haven't we discovered yet? You know what's new? Yeah, another classic rock stable. Here's here's an interesting question. Have you ever heard the studio version of this song? I have not actually. I don't think I have. I think I've only heard this live version. I'm sure my wife is very happy right now being like oh yeah we're gonna listen to a lot of peter frampton and she's just really <laughs> he's over there just like simone you're ready for all peter it. frampton <laughs> and eagles <laughs> i know this is good like end of the podcast song you know yeah this. Like, uh, let's let uh, peter frampton the soothing tones of peter frampton play us out just play us out play us out peter uh, great episode will end with peter frampton <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is actually now a Frampton Comes Alive podcast uh, called Sam Comes Alive. Hampton Beach Comes Alive. Yeah, but I wonder too, this is like in the air where authenticity really mattered a lot. Like that didn't really get shattered till the Spice Girls randomly were like the whole thing, like it didn't really matter if they were like real or not. So I wonder if like people couldn't let go and listen to just like a pop banger like this. Unless it had like the pretense of it being recorded by musicians or something like that, you know? Yeah. Because this is just like, you know, like, you know, a light pop song for couples and teenage girls and, you know, but it's just so funny that it's done by Peter Frampton. It's going to be a lot of good stuff this year. (laughs) We really kind of landed right in the wheelhouse of like our classic rock knowledge. Like, I was wondering, like, are we going to get, like, 1964, and then we don't know really anything but the big Motown stuff and uh, the Beatles that year? Or is it going to be like, are we going to get, like, 2004? Are we going to get just, like, I don't know, all the stuff that we remember from the radio that year and talk about it? I kind of, I like we're starting with 76. (laughs) 
though, setting six is good, especially too. It's like this kind of like big ticket classic rock. I'm like looking at a lot of the people who have stuff out this year. Elton John, ACDC, Kiss, uh, Bob Marley. That, that's something good and different. But Steely Dan, ELO, Aerosmith, Steely Genesis. Dan. What year was real in the years of song release? Was it this year? It was not this year. Uh, that was, uh, this was, was like 72 or something. Yeah, this is the Royal Scream, and the big single off that is Kid Charlemagne. Oh, I know that song. Uh, well, we'll go into that at some point, but uh, Desire by Bob Dylan. All uh, right. Bob Dylan, Dylan was doing the Rolling Thunder Review Tour. God, uh, Night Moves by Bob Seger, Boston self-titled album, Alice Cooper. Oh, I love that Boston album. We'll have to listen to that at some point. ABBA, Neil Diamond, Bee Gees right in the middle of the classic rock wheelhouse got Tom Waits Parliament Jackson Brown is running on empty this year that's 77 no this is uh, The Pretender mm. Fly Like an Eagle Fly Like the Eagles Fly Like the Eagles man so I'm excited to get my yeah just album oriented radio on this is uh, not the vibe I was thinking we we're going to do but I'm into it and with yeah. that, I, th- I think that's as good a place as any to stop. All right. Call it night, yeah. Peter Frampton, the soothing cones of Frampton have played us out. All right. 1976 is our year. Hope you uh, join us. And um... Yeah. So, listeners out there, we urge you to, if you want to uh, join in, start listening to music from 76. And chances are, since you're the initial listeners, you know us, like, directly. So, you know, messages, talk to us about music you like in 76. We'll listen it to. Ultimately, like, it's fun revisiting all this awesome classic rock stuff. Like, we want to discover some new stuff, too. So, stuff that yeah. uh, we haven't heard yet. So, yeah, this, this is going to be a cool thing. Bye-bye. That's how we should end it. We have to say bye-bye. Bye-bye.